you are entering The Take Up, a place to gather when the film is over. I'm your host, Joshua Ray, and I'm here with my co-host and managing editor of thetakeup.com, Andrew Wyatt. Hey, Andrew. Hello. Today, we are processing You Won't Be Alone, Andrew's pick for the Gems of 2022 program. And we've got a special guest, Jessica Scott of wewhowalkhere.com is here to join us with she would probably pick this one too uh and then after that we're going to play a little game it's our best supporting witches imtv edition but first up we are going to talk now showing so if you go to the takeup.com uh, a contributor, uh, Stephen Tronichek, did uh, interview with director Robbie Banfitch of The Outwaters. I haven't seen The Outwaters yet, but I hear it's kind of spooky. I don't know if that's the word I would use. Oh, and <laughs> and listen, but we've got a guest. Jessica Scott is here, film critic, written for Slash Film, Daily Grind House, but uh, main website, wewhowalkhere.com. Hi, Jessica Scott. Thank Hi. you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. You, like Andrew, big horror fan, yes. horror nerd. Yes, absolutely. I, a great horror academic. Is that <laughs> um, fair? I, I will gladly accept that, but the the part of me that just demurs at everything says, oh, no, I'm, I'm a horror nerd. I'll own that. But I won't go so far as to call myself a horror academic. Didn't you do like a whole panel on vampire and queer horror or something? I I'm did. Like, I did. If you, if you do something like that, I'm going to call you an uh, like a scholar of horror okay, okay. i will own All that right. i did give a talk at an academic conference about queer vampires so yes <laughs> there you uh, go literally yeah. scholar literally okay, literally <laughs> scholar all right um i haven't seen the outliners yet but um y'all have should i be afraid of it or not is it, uh, is it andrew you made a face <laughs> I, I i actually don't know if it's gonna be your cup of tea or not but i'm interested to hear mm. your reaction to it so what, hmm. what was your uh, sort of immediate response to this, Jessica? Oh, I I loved it. I, it's one of the closest depictions to Hell on Earth that I've ever seen. So, I love Hell on Earth. What do you mean, Andrew? <laughs> so I highly recommend it if the, you know, Hell on Earth is the vibe you're going for, because that is... <laughs> It's it's a nightmare, but it's it's not scary in a ooh, spooky, scary kind of way. It's a nightmare in a... I'm contemplating far worse ideas of mortality than I have before kind of way. It's Lovecraftian. I mean, to put, yeah. to kind of point out, I've seen that invoked a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I that's, believe, um, and that, uh, that gets Steven a lot of, invoked, yeah. a lot of horror fans love to sort of throw that out as a descriptor. And it isn't mm-hmm. always an accurate descriptor. If you've actually read Lovecraft and sort of dealt with and digested him with all his merits and Major flaws. <laughs> Major flaws, but um, I think this film gets pretty damn close. So I, I do want to make clarify that this film is bifurcated pretty close, clearly, cleanly yeah. into two hours. It's a two hour film and it's pretty clearly bifurcated. And I guess, I don't know if it works better if you don't know what you're in for or if you do, because the first hour is basically the Blair Witch Project in the Mojave Desert. It's a bunch of people want sort of mumble 
indie band people, like independent filmmaker and a, a woman who's trying to become like a singer songwriter and their friends sort of wanting, they got a hair and makeup lady because they're trying to make a video in the middle of nowhere in the Mojave Desert. That's the setup basically. Mm -hmm. And so the first hour, like it's the Blair Witch criticism, nothing happens, right? But like the Blair Witch, part of what um, the director is doing is sort of layering in subliminal things into your brain, imagery, sounds that he's gonna come back to, that he's gonna mm -hmm. recall. And then the last hour is like one hundred, an hour of the Stargate sequence from 2001, except <laughs> instead of sci-fi wonder and awe, it's tentacles and horror. Um, that's how that, that's how I would describe it. Um, mm. It is inner. I, I I was saying to somebody recently that is it's an innervating last hour. In in, in the, mm. you take that as a recommendation or not? Like so, if you're not prepared to be like to have this sonic and sensory assault for an hour <laughs> in the back half of this film you might kind of recoil from this independent of whatever else is doing stylistically. It's, it's pretty overwhelming. Would you agree, Jess? It's a pretty overwhelming yes. sensory experience. Yes, absolutely. It, it is exhaust. It's exhausting in the best way. Um, I would, I think innervating is the perfect way to put it um, because it is an assault. It is, you know, you kind of get put into this warm bath with these, you know, really engaging characters that you're just kind of hanging out with for a while. And then, it immediately the switch flips and it is just you want to escape and you can't and you kind of don't want to at the same time i've seen i've seen some people say that this is like an edibles film and i'm like i would not want to watch this movie <laughs> Alter, no. I, I might have a freak out yeah not from what you're describing don't do it folks mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not gonna go well at least get some popcorn if you do I will. Um, I will say one I'm thing. I'm excited that it does. to watch this. From what you guys are talking about, like where I I want to stream it, but it's only theatrical right now, right? It's coming to stream soon, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. oh, very good. Um, in fact, it might be. It might actually be today because uh, the director was talking about it on Twitter today as if it was coming soon to VOD. So it's either coming this week or very soon. Um, one thing I do want to say about it though is if you have a thing about blood, it's a very bloody film, and not even necessarily. I would say a gory. I guess it is kind of gory. There's an intestines and but the entire sec second half of the film the director slash star is basically covered head to door in gore it's <laughs> it's from the like trouble everyday school of gore so <laughs> take that on, if you have a thing about that the you horror the itself isn't, isn't that intense yeah but um just it's a it's a gory film maybe more so than it's not people don't go into this expecting a slasher and it is a very gory film mm -hmm. well i did our our research it is streaming as of today yeah uh, or as of tonight I, I can't stay awake that long but <laughs> maybe I'll watch it in the morning and really set the day off right <laughs> and then Andrew um you had a, another horror recommendation question mark yeah I don't know that this can be a full-throated recommendation but as always with sort of indie horror I I always like looking for things about indie horror sort of directed VOD indie horror films that do do certain things in an interesting or successful way all the other flaws are kind of like aside I always try to like find something and recommend something so this is a film called Attachment which is on I believe on Shutter right now um, by a filmmaker named Gabriel Beer I'm going to horribly mispronounce that Gabriel Beer Gislason um, this is a sort of this is a Jewish folk horror 
ghost haunting, demonic possession, lesbian love story. <laughs> um, okay. The, the, and, and that makes it sound more convoluted than actually is. The setup is actually pretty straightforward. So there's a meet cute. Um, two girls meet in, uh, there's an international aspect. One, one girl is uh, Danish, one girl is English. Um, the, the English girl has like a medical issue. And so she has to go home very quickly and back to back to London and their hookup is intense enough that basically the, and the, the uh, main character, this Danish woman for failed actress doesn't really have anything going on in her life. And she's so immediately infatuated with this woman that she decides to just follow her back to London. And there she learns that she's still living with her mother and her mother is an Orthodox Jew. And um, the film becomes like a very sort of deeply enmeshed in Jewish folklore and mysticism. Um, but really all that aside, I don't even think it's like, I'm not Jewish, so I can't judge the sort of accuracy of the mysticism and the religion on display. I didn't find it particularly compelling compared to other films that have sort of mined similar territory. But what is fascinating is that it is that this is very much a relationship film first. It's about how when you have an overprotective parent, uh, uh, a partner or a lover can be seen as a threat and that when you are a lover and are a partner and you're trying to sort of get in good with a parent who is overprotective, the, the various strategies that you take to try to insert yourself or uh, appeal to this person and try to convince them to let you into their family's life. Um, it's very observant indie film. It's almost better as a relationship film, very observant and insightful film about relationships and the complicated dynamics when parents and enter the situation and when there's dependency for mental health reasons or disability reasons or religious reasons, the way that can complicate things. I almost like that more than the horror. And the final act kind of goes into predictable, every film has to end with an exorcism nowadays, kind of predictable. But I did like the relationships aspects that people... Not a lesbian, but to me, it felt like a very incisive film about relationships in general and the dynamics of them. So I did like that. And it has um, it has um, Ellie Kendrick, who was on uh, Mira Reed on Game of Thrones, who I loved her on that show. So I I don't know what any characters' names are on <laughs> well, Game she, of Thrones, she, and I watched every episode. She also very famously played Anne Frank in a English language adaptation of The Diary of Anne Frank that I think is probably the most most famous contemporary adaptation of it. Very good. Now, what about Hesera? Am I saying that right? Sarah, yeah. So I don't want to talk too much about this because I kind of want to funnel people to read my review, please, on the website. Um, but thetakeup.com. Yeah. That's thetake-up.com. <laughs> so this film is called Hesera. For some reason in America, it's been given the subtitle, The Bone Woman. I'm not, like the, the name Hesera is just fine on its own. Um, this is a Mexican film by, uh, I don't think she's a first time filmmaker, but, um, hold on. Right. Like, why would you include Hesera and then colon the bone woman? Like it, like it's already there. So if you're trying to add something onto it to like clarify or retitle it, then why wouldn't you just like call it the bone woman? I don't why know. Is I it don't the 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 distributor logic of how films get retitled from inter different international markets never makes sense to me. I'm not going to litigate. Is she a so. bone woman at least? Is it right? Is she a bone? <laughs> there woman? is a bony aspect to this. So the the filmmaker I want to make sure I mention the filmmaker is Michelle Garza Severa. I don't think she's a part time filmmaker, but this is sort of like her big hit. I think it was I want to say was it Sundance maybe last year or maybe at Fantastic Fest. 
Um, it was a big hit, and it's just fine. It's finally getting a, re a release. Uh, it's out on VOD. It was out, got a theatrical release last week. It's on VOD literally today. So by the time you hear this, it will be out. Um, it's awesome. That's all I'm gonna say about it. It's a natal film, natal horror film about a woman who is pregnant, and all these anxieties start to happen, and sort of they're externalized as these supernatural forces. Um, I think it's great. I would. It do, I don't say this lightly to put it in sort of the motherhood canon alongside Rosemary's Baby and the Babadook, but I think it definitely earns it. It's a very smart film, um, very richly layered in terms of theme. So, and and it's genuinely scary. If you if you have a thing about broken bones, bones protruding out of people's bodies, bones cracking, this is going to be very Damn. body. It's not a body <laughs> horror film, but if that's your trigger, this is going to be a very triggering film in that respect I, I am the bone man yeah. when it comes to that <laughs> bone grinding that is... on bone sounds oh yeah there's a oh, lot of that in never broken a bone in my body you know <laughs> i avoid physical activity because of it i don't want it i don't want the so bone maybe take maybe freaking... you need to like kind of hide your cover your ears or hide yourself but, <laughs> no, but it's, it's such a good film it. i do i it's such a good film that i actually recommend it to um even non-horror fans because i think there's a, so much interesting stuff going on in it um, again, not a queer person, but to me, this feels like a future queer can horror canon movie. So you can, maybe you need to watch it. People are saying that about Skinamarink and I'm like, y'all know, read a different book. <laughs> well, like, we, I know we I differ on Skinamarink. We, we can argue about Skinamarink. No, time. I don't want to. Jesse, <laughs> 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 you did. Have you Skinamarinked yet? I have Skinamarinked and I loved Skinamarink. Josh did not. Let's leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. But that's why you that's yeah, why people yeah. listen, right? To hear yeah, yeah, yeah. not to hear constant agreement, to hear lively no, debate. Um, you know what movie has not a lot going on in it? Ant Man and the Wasp. The qu quantum mania. Where's the mania? In this because <laughs> this movie is so boring you just love your little action figures running around on your little crayons what the fuck is this what are y'all doing are you good so i mean you're not you're not you don't have a predisposition to these marvel movies anyway but is this one a particularly like dire version or is this sort of typical of them for you uh, is it anything <laughs> is it anything it's not dire i mean it's it's a fine, you know, and I hate because I think there's great TV. I hate this like cinema versus TV divide. But, you know, in on one hand, this is a long television episode of a TV <laughs> show I don't like. Um, there's nothing of consequence that really occurs. This Marvel fandom is predicated on anticipation of something you already know that's going to happen this is why i do, i guess i don't get it but there are people who like these movies that aren't comic book fans that don't know that this is the beginning of phase five i learned this today i, I don't know what that means i don't care what that means um as a film that i definitely watched it is non-existent and this is a movie that occurs in this world that is pulled out of someone's imagination and has some really elaborate and creative 
uh, set design. Um, and I put air quotes around it because it's all, you know, ones and zeros and whatever. Um, and supposedly inspired by Hodorowski's Dune, uh, the film that his version of Frank Herbert's what Dune is, never no. got made. I've never, I've never, I have not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp one of many yet, but I can say that that is almost 100% probably not true. And you see where some of that inspiration comes through, but it's all very flat and, and has no personality and very uh, kind of in jokey to the, the fandom and felt um, very cloying and um, not good, folks. And you know what? Th that's particularly disappointing with this sort of sub franchise because before Marvel sort of exhausted my goodwill, and I'm, I'm kind of done with them too, is that like I thought the original Ant Man was actually a pretty good Fun. picture because. And this is key in keeping with the consistency of it being about Ant-Man. It's a very, it's a heist picture. It's a very small bore stakes, very small bore threat. The whole, the final boss battle happens on a Thomas the Tank Engine track. <laughs> like, I loved that. And like, and it stood in such contrast to so many other Marvel films and so many other franchise, not just a Marvel thing, but every other franchise temple that have to end with like, Armageddon on the brink of Armageddon. Like, give me a heist, give me a heist film with superpowers. Like, that's great. But like, they they did one movie about it, and then they immediately discarded it and went and like integrated it into the larger nonsense. And I, ugh. well, I you know I had fun with the second one too, and it was all very surface level fun, and you know again like no stakes. But this one has the self seriousness of you know Avengers uh, in game and and has gone so far in in that direction that it sort of crumbles under its own weight and i hate i hate to say it but even jonathan majors is here as kang who's the next thanos words i can't believe i'm saying <laughs> and i actually thought he was uh remarkably non-existent and that's a that is very odd what a uh, waste of a great actor yeah yeah i had this odd uh, affect of a superhero villain it was kind of like he was I, quoting superhero villain and i actually years. watched and even liked the loki tv show on it's one of the few disney like marvel shows i actually watched and as great as tom hiddleston is as an actor it is uncanny how much that show comes alive in its final episode when spoiler alert when jonathan major shows up to, to like exposition all over the place for 40 minutes it's it's just Jonathan Majors in a room talking, and it's suddenly like the energy level in the film in the show kind of jumps up hundred and ten percent, and it's astonishing. Okay. So it's doubly disappointing to hear that he is not good in this. So I gotta I gotta ask you because I gotta go on the TV and review this thing. He's in Loki, right? As King. yeah, yeah, that was his first appearance, I think. But who knows with Marvel? It could he could have popped up at a fucking Easter egg somewhere? That's what I'm saying. Like, why do I have to know all this in order to review the damn thing? <laughs> This isn't fun. It's not fair. I have well, a friend who I text and I'm like, just you, TLDR version of this. Give me please. the Kang is a great comic character. Like as somebody who was a Marvel fan when I was a teenager of the of the comics, I, Kang is a cool character. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's always doubly disappointing to see this kind of nonsense mm -hmm. get soft pedaled in in film form. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about something that's worth talking about. And that is You Won't Be Alone, the, the film with a title that I can remember. 
if I try hard <laughs> enough. You won't be alone. Andrew's pick, film Jessica loves, a film I definitely saw. Let's do it. <laughs> Now this is this is Andrew's pick, but you are a big fan of oh my god, you won't be alone. And I was just, you know, this is my thing. This title is so generic, just the words. It makes sense for the film that I cannot remember the fucking name of this movie at all. <laughs> it's You Won't Be Alone. Yes. You're a fan of it, right? Oh, very much so. Yes. Very much so. All right. Good, good. That's I'm why really... I have Jessica on here, honestly. It's why I ever suggested her because I needed defense in case you hated this job. So it wasn't <laughs> one-on-one. I will reserve comment until Andrew tells us why he picked this one. Andrew, We've had, okay, what have we had so far? After Yang, Strawberry Mansion, Stars at Noon, and now- Emily the Criminal. Emily the Criminal, right. Yeah. You won't be alone. So um, this is, I think our picks are the most us picks we could have picked. <laughs> well, Macedonian no, by that. <laughs> witches. I picked, you know, uh, Sweaty Claire Denis. <laughs> Come on, this is a very Andrew movie. Yeah, of, like is. existential, like witch transference of of spirit and <laughs> what? A, like, come on, buddy. All right, okay, but why did you pick it? Well, so the 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 theme of this mini series is underrated gems, and I think this is a film that's. I mean, I'm sort of in film Twitter, but I'm also in horror Twitter. So horror Twitter has talked about this film, but I don't think it's sort of penetrated outside that uh, to the larger awareness of cinephiles. So I just kind of wanted to bring some attention to it. And it was in my like top 15, I think of 2022. Um, Certainly the film that caught me blindsided me perhaps more than any other film I saw this year. Um, I had heard a little bit about it. It had weirdly had a wide release. Like you could go see this at, at the Marcus Ronnie's theater down, down the street. I don't know why it had a wide release, but um, it, just, it definitely feels like an art film. But um, I had sort of skipped it and then it came out on VOD and I said, thought, what the hell, I'll, I'll try to check it out. And I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this movie? It's, it's the first time feature sort of made with a like, I mean, I've always, I always like seeing a strong first time feature just because it, gets me excited about what the future is what's coming from that filmmaker in the future but even apart from that that this film as an object sort of just immediately made me sit up and take notice and I, and I think you know those of people who have been listening for the past year or whatever probably have an idea what my sensibilities are so I guess it's not totally a surprise let's see a folk horror plus Malikian voiceover probably my thing <laughs> yeah I mean at least, I mean, it's cool to have a thing, right? <laughs> but, I guess. I don't want to be in a bo- completely in a box, though, right? Well, the next time predictable. you pick, you know, the the Claire Denis and I'll go folklore. Okay. Okay. So I'm still reserving comment. <laughs> okay. Jessica, what's your general, how did you meet this movie? And what's your just kind of general opinion on it? 
Uh, I first saw it at Sundance last year. Mm. Um, it was my first time covering Sundance, so I was super excited anyway. But I, again, like Andrew, I was bowled over by the fact that this was a first time feature from this director. And it's just so assured and so confident and so gorgeous. Like, it's one of the most poetic movies I've ever seen, not just in its dialogue, but just the way it's shot. And I just, it just penetrated me. I just, it, it means a lot to me because it's just so gorgeous. And it, it felt like I was watching something important. I just, I'm obsessed with it. And I, I, get, I agree. I feel like it, it should be talked about more, not just on horror Twitter, but I, I want more people to be talking about this movie and seeing this movie because it's, it's just got everything that I want in film. So no, I, I will be very rapturous when I'm talking about it. I apologize before. <laughs> oh no, no, I love it. Um, you just like bumped it up half star because you're, for me, because you're so in- enthused about it. Uh, will you tell us about, because it premiered at Sundance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about the screening and and how that experience was to be one of the first to see it. I was actually watching virtually. I was not in a theater, though. I would have loved to have seen that mm-hmm. with a crowd. Um, but I just, I, I think I got kind of spoiled because I was like, is this what going to Sundance is like? Is this what every <laughs> film at Sundance is like watching this? Like, God, definitely I, not. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what last year's Sundance was like. We like we saw after Yang there. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't be like, there were really high profile. Well, what ended up being high profile films. And like this one, it came rose to the top because it has a star in it who uh, turns out is but it isn't the star of the film because it really isn't one and we'll talk about that but um yeah but that was sort of the one of the higher profile ones and it was picked up by uh focus features mm-hmm. and i think that's why it's got it got that large release but typically any horror movie gets a horror bump at the box office but this did not. So I don't know if there was something in the marketing that was, if if something like The Witch can, you know, make bank on its relative scale, then you would think something like this would. But you're right. It sort of escaped everyone's grasp. If I, to be honest, if I was a filmgoer who liked The Witch, but wasn't necessarily into like art film, I would probably get 10 minutes into this and be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Why am I watching this? All right, well, let's get it, 10 minutes into it. Because it has that folk it. horror vibe, but it's doing something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not even yeah. scary. I, I mean, maybe calling it horror really is more about the components, sure. sort of the story components, the plot-wise that are in it. It's not mm-hmm. really about the tone or what it's trying to do to you as a viewer at mm-hmm. all. Will, will you set it up for us? Yeah, so the this is a film about, and again, in case it isn't clear to Jessica, this is a spoiler cast. So we talk about the film in total anybody who's listening is going to get it ruined but um, we do usually do kind of a setup here um so this is about a witch um who is in the parlance of the film's macedonian folk horror is called a wolf eatress and she's capable of uh shape-shifting by killing somebody and then sort of taking their skin suit as it were although it's done by sort of ripping her the person's viscera out and the way I've sort of just that nickel summary makes it sound like a horror film, and it's really not. It's about specifically, it's about um, the witch who I in the film her human name is Maria, but I didn't get the impression that she uses that name as a witch. Now that she's sort of this immortal crone, um, 
she takes to a particular infant and decides to, um, she wants to eat it or kill it or something. And the mother hides it away in like this shrine. I get the impression it's like a Christian Aramite hermitage or something where the, the, the witch can't get to it and literally raises her baby from infancy to 16 years old in this cave, leaves her in the cave to kind of become a feral child, um, only visiting her occasionally. Then eventually the witch manages to break in somehow or get to the girl, kills the mom. And then the bulk of the film concerns her on again, off again, sort of tutelage of this young witch, this, uh, the younger witch's name is Navina. Um, but again, there's not a lot of names thrown around this movie. So you kind of have to pay attention to the subtitles to even know who's being talked about. Um, and the whole movie is in uh, Macedonian. So it, it is a subtitle. It's not a, technically a foreign film. I guess it's technically an Australian production, mm -hmm. but it's the film is entirely in Macedonia. It's very immersive 18th century Macedonia. So the movie is really about their relationship and in particular about Navina's exploration of the human world because she has been raised in a cave, mostly without her, her natural biological mother's influence, only occasionally. And so her she doesn't really have any experience with the world. And this is very much a film about a person who is only partly human at this point. She's been sort of semi-transformed by the witch Maria into this, I am what to call it, like an acolyte witch, another wolf eat wolf eatress in training. Um and Navina kind of like goes back and forth between being wanting to be under the uh protection and instruction of this older witch who is very cruel and callous towards her and wanting to explore the human world on her own. And that's probably a bit longer summary that I needed to give, but. Um, no, I, I kind of think it requires that setup, even though it, it, it's all pretty clear what's happening in it, right? Even though sometimes, you know, the first time a witch pummels someone's body and then rips out some intestines or whatever, and then like, puts them inside a hole in her chest you're like that must have some purpose and then it's but see that's what i like about it that it doesn't yeah, yeah but it doesn't yeah. need to explain it good yeah, folklore it, does not require a wise woman to come in and explain what's going on you should be able mm -hmm. to intuit the rules and the dynamics from what's shown on screen i think and that's what i that's what i like about this is that it really does put you under a spell excuse my my pun here um and, and it, it, you are enraptured and inside this very kind of insular experience that this woman or being, and we can talk about the allegorical lens this can go to too, in attempting to understand the human experience. The thing that really came to my mind in watching this was uh, your Z Skolomowski's EO and that it has a sort of similar structure in that it's episodic in that you're following one thing as they go through human experiences. Mm -hmm. Now this one has a bit higher concept with it because it does have this this witch spirit or whatever it becomes. That's that a good point though. I didn't even think of that. It. But yeah. EO's owners is as to the person personas that the witch is taking as she's body hopping. Yeah. Can we let's let's go through 
the the personas. What do you think, Jess? Is there is there is there a deliberateness to the specific order of events and the sequence of personas that Navina takes on in the film? I think so. I think there's a lot going on with gender and motherhood. You know, mm-hmm. her first life, um, she's a woman with an an abusive husband, and then she's a man, and then she gets to be a young girl and experience loving motherhood for the first time, like for years instead of in tiny short bursts, which perhaps is how she received it when she was growing up in the cave. So I think there's definitely a progression of her experiencing what love and happiness can feel like and Mm. getting longer and longer bursts of that. It's like, you know, when she leaves the cave, she squints and can't quite handle the sun. And I think that's how she is with love as well. Like it's a little too intense at first, but as she gets more and more exposed to it, she's like, ah, this is what life can be when it's at its best. So I think it's kind of her figuring out gender, figuring out motherhood, and most of all, figuring out what love feels like. That's an excellent point because the climax of the film or um, the denouement, if you will, is Maria the Maid enacting it's like emotional revenge um, because the the younger witch has found that, and that's something that she was robbed of. Well, in in as much as the human magic in the film, the what we might call the hedge magic or the the populist magic of these Macedonian peasants is pretty much shown to be wrong. Like they don't whatever rituals they're doing to protect themselves or whatever we don't really do anything but the but the women in the village i think in in the the sort of the final act the billia the billia act where, where navina takes on her final persona um they do say something to the effect of like they have they know they have maria's number they say oh she's just bitter she's jealous right. of what mm-hmm. she can't have or she can't mm-hmm. feel which is funny because it's it's exactly right like we, we we're primed to assume that the humans don't know what they're talking about but they do have her number emotionally or psychologically mm-hmm. Because I think that's what motivates that final act of cruelty that you're, ta- you're referring to, where she tries to kill Navina's uh, child. Absolutely. Going into is sort of swim in this movie instead of like dissecting it or following this plot. And well, that's Malikian to, to overuse, oh, okay. overphrase, wanna... overuse <laughs> phrase. You want to go there with that? Yeah. I... This is what I don't like about this movie. There's a preciousness. And this might be a taste thing too. I don't really go for this like faux malic, and this definitely has some of it going on. I think of the things that adopt this Terrence Malick style, and I think it's more late Malick than anything. I think it's a very difficult like mix, a difficult alchemy to achieve, and. There are moments in this that rang a little like false to me, really just in that mix. Otherwise, I was totally just in this, but there are moments that just like hold hold me out of it. What's an example of of do you like you think of something off the top of your head where you just like you bounced off of? I bounced off of a lot of the narration and and that is is where that is like the taste thing, right? With Malik and especially later Malik. And that's a lot of point of contention with like Malik heads is the poetry of it all, sure. Um, some of it rang as like just trying to be that instead of just wholly possessing that. 
that's really it for me. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't argue that either. It worked for you or it didn't, right? Like for me, right. I love, I love the. I'm, I was sitting there taking, like, writing every other line, round of dialogue down because I was struck by it. But mm -hmm. don't, if you don't buy it, you don't buy it. I think part of the part of the reason it works for me so well here is because of the horror supernatural context. Because what. Um, let's put it this way. I rewatched specifically because of this. This motivated me to rewatch the New World this week. Uh, Terrence Mountain. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, because I was constantly thinking of it when I when I when I rewatched You Won't Be Alone for the third time. I I was thinking about the New World because one of the things I think it captures and the, the horror component, the supernatural or occult aspects of this, are used to create a remove. From humanity like they're they're using the goofy somewhat ridiculous concepts that all horror movies sort of traffic in and i'm saying this as like an i love horror movies but i'm an atheist like i don't believe in ghosts demons or anything but i do think it's a wonderful literary tool here almost where we're it's creating the remove of entering a mm -hmm. world that we're not familiar with i mean like not to put too fine on a point on that, but a lot of the way Navina talks <laughs> sounds like the way that John Smith and Bogdanovich talk in the New World to me, having just watched them back to back. Like the idea of marveling at something, but maybe not 100% understanding it, and also worrying co the constant background worry that maybe your presence there, that you touching it, you interacting with it, trying to be a part of it, might spoil it somehow. So it's like a metal cover of the new world. <laughs> it's a black metal cover. So it's an Eastern European black metal cover of the new world. See, for me, I, am I'm I completely gonna... talking out of my ass here? No, Jessica, or no, like, no not at all. Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I always, I like all horror, obviously, but like to me, that's what struck me is that it's, it's somebody like we're using horror devices or occult devices to investigate you know, the things that are the, the, the grand ideas about the human experience. And I, I like that. And I, I don't know. And again, if you bounced off that, some of that, Josh, and it felt a little fakey and set what it may be uh, pretentious, for lack of a better word. Um, I, I can't really argue the point because it is kind of pretentious. It's a horror movie that's trying to be about the whole of the human experience, but um, it worked for me. I guess it's just the act of the, the cover, right? It, it's, it's, it's an approximation of something else that it, it there's a dissonance in it that I, I can't really vibe with because I don't really enough. vibe with black metal. I will say that I like part of the reason I keep referring to Mount is because I feel like this is a if it's a cover, it's a really good cover. This is like is people, good, to me, this is like Paul Thomas Anderson covering Scorsese or Altman level. Like it's it's picking up all the right things. And you we mentioned previously the the sort of hazy, dreamy quality to it, the way it proceeds through its plot, not in a typical narrative way with the privileging like plot clarity or anything. To me, that's like the essence of like Malice. You, you look at a movie like Hidden Life or um, God forbid, Night of Cups um, and try to parse like what's happening. It's really about giving you these snippets, the, con the constant motion of the camera. Should, one thing that this director does that, doesn't do that Mal late Malik has been doing. Gora, I'm sorry, I, did, I haven't properly credited the director. It's a Macedonian-Australian director named Goran Stolevsky. And he just has a new movie coming out this week, actually, his mm -hmm. second feature. But the way that, one thing Malik does in his later features, particularly like since New World, is keep the camera in motion constantly. Even in those little tiny half-second shots, 
the camera is constantly drifting, panning, racking, like it's moving all over the place. And this film feels a little more settled, but the editing style, this is a montage film, basically, for, for lack of, mm-hmm. there are certain moments between, particularly when the two witches are interacting, we're, we're in a more traditional two camera setup and we're getting their, their dialogue together. But everything else, all the stuff that Naveen is doing out in the world is montage. We get her entire relationship and marriage and birth of her child happens in montage. It also reminded it also reminded me of uh, Ghost Story was the other film that I was thinking a, a Ghost Story. Oh, okay, so that's the that's the peak bullshit, Malik. I <laughs> hate that. For me, this is the successful like cover version, like the the. <laughs> the best approximation of a Malik to where that is, I'm going to make so many people angry. <laughs> Movie fucking masturbatory <laughs> jerk off David Lowry. Make the old man in a gun. Confidence, baby. All right, Jessica, be mad at me for what I said. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I can't be mad at you for just saying it's a taste thing. You know, because some That's people true. some people vibe with that and some people don't, but yeah, but then I could just say that about anything. Oh, true. <laughs> just say the worst thing ever and say, but it's a taste thing. It's a taste so. thing. You're my, I just say your mileage may vary. <laughs> this is not your thing. You will not like this thing. Right. One thing I really love is performance in this. And I'm not familiar with a lot of the cast. The one person I know is Nur Haas. And I think she's really good in this. Is she underrated as a performer? I've noticed that in the past like five years, she's done a lot of sort of like low rent stuff. And I'm, mm-hmm. I and I wonder, and this is not a verdict on her talents. I'm more just thinking meta. Like, I wonder if she just never, after the, the Millennium Trilogy, after the, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo stuff, maybe she, and maybe Prometheus too, is she never really hit in a, for American audiences, maybe the way that they, that the studios intended her to hit. But she I do love, her. I think like, she's a great actress. I mean, I don't, I don't have any problem with her acting. I think she's really good in this. And it's a, a silent performance. <laughs> Mostly silent. You might Dialogue free, we'll call it. Um, I, I, I wrote down here, it's giving me, do me repace, pretending to laugh is giving me life. <laughs> like, Can we trying about to, that? Looking at like the learning how to use her face is just like an amazing thing. That me in any party just <laughs> pause. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Anna Maria Marinka, who plays uh, Maria in like the flashback of sequences, that I think she it's also her underneath all the latex of makeup, mm-hmm. uh, was in four months, three weeks, two days. So I think she's a Romanian right. actress. And Alice Englert, too, um, who's been around a little bit. She's, um, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. What's, what's her mom's name? Jane Campion, what the hell? Wait, she's Jane Campion's daughter. She is, and wow. um, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So hey, there's it. Oh, Nepo baby. Ah, of... uh, yeah. She's Nepo baby. I'm sorry, Alice Englert. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, in general, just everyone's pretty top notch in this thing, mm-hmm. and it's a heavy lift too because it, 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 a lot of what the filmmaker's attempting lies on faces, right? Um, so it's 
you would think a heavy lift would be like a lot of dialogue, but trying to convey this sort of like a, the same spirit transferring through different bodies. Mm-hmm. And it, it not only through the filmmaking, but through performance, we identifying that as the same person. And I think it's key that everyone sort of has a sense of wonder or at least like a, a quizzical behavior to it because this the character is trying to experience. And that's the one thing that we're talking about with newer passes when she's trying to figure out like, what are they doing when they're laughing and then trying to mimic that mm-hmm. and then like being a total beat behind it and then suddenly just- And also talking about just off. like the general rules, like. When you see somebody you recognize, lift your eyebrows. Like she's reminding right. herself. There's something very like Asby about that, about her trying to learn the rules of social interaction and mm-hmm. make sure that she can fit in properly. Not because, and what I think is interesting is it's coming from an interesting place. Navina doesn't have the streak of cruelty that M- Maria has. She what didn't inherit it for whatever reason through the mm-hmm. witch spit. And like, so she's not coming at this of, I have to make sure I keep this masquerade up perfectly. It's not coming from a feeling of anxiety or paranoia or the inherent deceitfulness. She's sort of just marveling at everything around her and try and becomes fascinated with it. Want she? There's a certain tipping point, I think, in the film where she wants to be good at being a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not exactly sure where that happens, but it definitely happens at a certain point. It stops being just random childlike gaping at everything and it becomes effort. She starts putting out effort to be a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the montage and I, I, they ha- had to obviously have had the same movement coach because there's kind of a bird-like quality with these really hesitant movements with their faces and just their necks. Like it's, it's like a wild animal coming up to a group of humans and trying to fit in with them which I find really fascinating. Like I I found myself kind of mimicking their movements when I was watching the film this time because it's so fascinating and it's so beautiful. Like there is that wonder, but also a little bit of skittishness. Like there's just a tiny bit of uh, maybe a little bit of fear in it because she has been burned so much, but she keeps going forward regardless, which I think is so important. Yeah, there's a, now that you say that, that's that's a great observation because I noticed that Whenever there's a group of humans standing around talking or you know eating or whatever, she sends initially at the beginning, especially at the beginning, but this sort of fades over time. She wanders around the outside like a dog that's wandered mm-hmm. into the campsite, not mm-hmm. like a person that wants to sit down yet and eat with these people and yeah. talk with them. She's she's doing that, hmm, what are these people up to? Kind of the way like a dog or a cat pet will just sort of wander into a, a situation. Yeah. I like the existential and sort of spiritual questions this movie raises too, especially when it comes to, you know, the the body-mind problem. And one of the things that you see in the consistency, I think all of that is born out of the early isolation, Mm -hmm. right? And it carries through to each body. So in this film, through metaphor, it is saying, I am my mind, right? Uh, And I can transfer body I am my experiences my accumulation of experiences but I'm also like many different facets as they come together however my body will certainly dictate 
how I am able to perform and how I take possession and of, of my being in it. I mean, there's like really great trans allegory in this. They're, you know, getting to the point of, of gender and the amorphousness of body and how it relates to the mind. I'm glad you said that. Like, I don't always feel comfortable raising these as a not non-queer person, but like I wrote down, there's a line where Maria says that says where she says after Billy, after Navina, as Billia has married or is about to marry her husband, Maria comes to her and says, he will find you out and throw you in the fire himself. And it's, I wrote, I wrote like that and wrote trans metaphor. <laughs> it's, it's very clear to me that, that, yeah. that I don't, it, it can be read that I am cisgender myself. And, but that moment, I think is, um, you know, if you were to, you know, say this is my thesis, that's it. I mean, it ca- calls itself out because of it's happening and it's always happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and the specific circumstances of what this fable is, is about mind and body and this mutation or transfiguration. And that's why I think the the viscerality, the the corporeality of the transformation, I think is important. Because if this was like a glamour, if it's a witch casting an illusion to trick people, that's a different idea, and not to me, not as potent in this context as that. This is a this requires an actual, like the viscera, the organs have to be ripped out and forced. And the process is painful, even for the witch. You can see it in the way that Navina and Maria act that shoving this stuff into themselves. So the fact that it's it's very clearly in the context of this world or this magic or whatever, that th- this magic is tangible. She's actually transforming into this person. It's not just a, 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 tr- a bit of illusion or something, which I think is right. important to, to the themes that you're talking about, that it wouldn't feel, those themes wouldn't feel as strong if it was just, you know, shadow play. Right. Well, I was also wanted to ask Jessica about like, there's, a real balancing act here with tone, right? That we have to be able to, as viewers, buy the viewpoint that Navina slowly arrives at over the course of the film. We have to sort of go on that journey with her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, you could argue, and this maybe goes to Josh's criticism, you could argue that sort of the conclusions that she reaches are that, you know, she's marveling at how horrible the world is, but also marveling about how beautiful it is. I it feels earned to me just her marveling at watching you know the women talk to each other and gossip and laugh just marveling marveling at the small moments or the big moments at being able to clothe yourself in the sun like liquid like all these beautiful not just sensory experiences but emotional experiences and connections that you can form I she suffers so much and she hears about how much Maria suffered when she was human. And yet, you know, the, there's there's always something coming around the corner for her. I, I think that isolation at the beginning plays such a huge role in it because she sees this tiny, tiny segment of the world. And for 16 years, all she knows is a small blue space up in the sky and cold rock around her. And when she comes out, she's like a baby all over again and this whole world is opening up to her she even says you know i rivers spin out inside me like she all these things keep opening up inside her and blossoming i it works for me completely because i go on that journey with her where 
no matter how hard and how cruel the world can be, it can still be so beautiful and human connection can be so beautiful. So I, it actually, it absolutely works for me. Maybe it absolutely works for me now too. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so easily swayed. Especially <laughs> Kate, Katie Carter came on and I was like strawberry mansion. And now I'm like, I want to be a beat on a point. <laughs> well, you you brought, I mean, like I was maybe a little cooler on stars at noon than, than, you, than you were. And then you kind of brought, when we talked about it last episode, we're both so excited about it. So your, your enthousi- enthusiasm can be infectious, right? Yeah. People's- yeah. Like a witch's spirit. <laughs> or witch's spit. <laughs> okay. Wait, 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 wait. I know, you know, metaphor, fable, folklore. I don't, what, it, what does that mean? Is that, that she fluid. can it's make fluid. one other one witch, witch. Mm-hmm. one witch one other witch throughout mm-hmm. her life mm-hmm. all right well what's who who is she gonna witchify witchify me witchify is her child she oh, to save her right that's, that's the fucking the end of the movie i forgot about and that to me is the power what you're talking about jess is the power of it and the the way that maria and again we're we get maria's backstory in this wonderful flashback mm-hmm which is, I, I wrote down, I love the transition. We start, there's something very Game of Thronesy about like the old woman telling the story, but the, the cinematic touch that this film adds is it cuts mid sentence to a first person account from Maria herself during the mm-hmm. flashback. Love that. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, all these horrible things happen to Maria, she basically had a terrible life and nothing ever good happened to her. And so we, we we're, her bitterness isn't unjustified, but the the fact that the last basically the last thing that Maria says to Navina before Navina kills her at the end is almost weeping and marveling at that you gave your one shot to this infant so fast how and to us it seems obvious every any mother's going to defend their child but to Maria she's been in, she's been in the witch life for so long for lack she's of a better so she's been, removed she's, she's from not humanity she's been so yeah. she's so removed from humanity she doesn't remember that and she maybe she's i think what navina concludes is that she's past saving that she's never going to be able to understand it but mm-hmm. it just it almost breaks your heart the way that she, maria doesn't say it spitefully she just like she almost says it admiringly like how did you do that how how did you react like instinctively like a mother i can't I, i'll never have that i love those moments where you can see maria get close to getting it like when she first takes Navina out into the woods and they're sitting like under a waterfall or by a stream and she reaches out and just kind of brushes Navina's hair and it's it's almost maternal she there are times when she almost tries and then she swats her away and it's just she just cannot do it because she's too bitter too far removed also like just the idea of worldview that so much of this movie is about being a parent and what worldview you pass on to your child yes maria like is so bitter and so filled up with venom that it's almost like she's incapable of providing any kind of positivity to navina at all and again it's in this goofy sort of weird non-biological mother-child supernaturally mediated relationship but it's still a relationship and it's obviously has resonance for parent all kinds of parent-child relationships Mm -hmm. you know that there's this sense in which Navina didn't get to even have a childhood so part of what makes the the early sequences when she says when she takes over Bilia the dead child is that real sense of what we were talking about Jess it's there's that sense of wonder when she comes out of the cave where she's 16 and enters the world basically enters leaves the womb the cave womb of the cave if you will mm-hmm. and enters the world 
And that sense of immediate wonder is never really quite replicated until she takes over young Billy's body. Mm -hmm. And then there's this like sense of almost wistfulness about, oh, this is what I didn't get. Yeah. I did like, this is different than being a man. Being a child is different than being a woman or a man, which I've already sampled. This is something or else. Or dog. Yeah, or dog. <laughs> well, on that note, I've got a little game. Okay. And it's about actors, okay? Okay, I'm sure they're going to be, so I don't, so I'm not tempted to cheat. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm to be, because that's cheating. Yeah. All right, so we're going to do the IMTP game, aka known for, numeral four. Um, so with this game, we are, I'm giving you a list. This is called the Best Supporting Witches Edition. These are Oscar winners who have played witches. What witch did Rachel um, Weisz play? Oh, I remember. Oh, you don't remember the great and powerful Oz, do you? <laughs> oh, I'm trying to forget that. That's why. <laughs> oh, God. Watched that recently. It's bad. It's, and it's such not a movie. Like, is that Sam Raimi? No <laughs> doubt. Betty Davis, anyway. Angelica Houston, Rachel Weiss. Okay. Right. All right. So we're going to quiz each other. We're all going to pick one. And that's going to be the one that uh, the others will quiz on. And what you're trying to do is guess what appears on their IMDb pages as their most known films. Now, this is an IMDb generated, they have some secret fucking algorithm so what ends up happening is something weird inevitably it's going to be like one you've never heard of like oscar wins maybe a franchise movie and then like something from last year anyway <laughs> so so try to think as imdb when you're attempting to guess now you well, get Jess, Jess gets Jess gets first pick of these. You'll get first guys. pick, but you get oh. two wrong guesses, and then we'll give you the years of the remaining films. Okay. And then we'll just give you a bunch of hints. Okay. So <laughs> the usual way it goes. Jess, I'm gonna let you pick who you would like out of Betty Davis, Angelica Houston, or Rachel Vice. Betty Davis, please. Okay. Then I am going to do Angelica Houston. And I'm going to go first so that you can see what kind of mess I make of this. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, I guess so technically you, I do have to have IMD open for Yeah, you. now you got to go back and give we, me Angelica. We go in a circle Houston. here and we, get, we, we like give each other the clues. Okay. Yeah. You'll, you'll get the idea here. Gotcha. So I'm doing Angelica Houston for Josh. Yes. Gotcha. And I'm going to start guessing while you pull that up. <laughs> and I'm going to guess that The Witches is on there. Okay. You're right. One is The Witches. Okay. I got one of the four. These are the probably Rifters. Easy. Yes. I'll go with the Oscar win. What is that movie called? Pritzi's Honor. No. What? 
If they're both on there, I'm going to be upset. The Adams Family. Yes. One more. I'm going through. Have I guessed two wrong yet? No. Well, you got one wrong. One wrong. Okay. Then I'm just going to guess Adams Family Values. No. Shit. Um, <laughs> the film okay, you're looking for is 1998. 1998? And it's, oh, we should call out if it's TV series or right. uh, this TV is a film or it's a film animated. 1998 not animated live action film 1998 and she is running around being angelica houston <laughs> in 1998 and she was definitely in a movie in that <laughs> yes she was <laughs> i'm i'm she was wearing be... clothes <laughs> he had a hair saying lines <laughs> clothes and lines <laughs> can i get another hint she is not get. the above the line lead. No, I didn't figure. Not to 90, 1998, <laughs> honey. You gotta give me another hint. Okay. Leonardo da Vinci is a character in this movie. Jess knows it now, I think. Leonardo da Vinci is a <laughs> character? Yes. And I, I'm gonna, am I gonna be mad that I didn't figure yeah, this probably, out? Probably, probably. Leonardo da Vinci is a character? Is it because of some sort of time slippage machine? Nope. I don't know. Like, why is he a character in a movie? <laughs> more. At more, please. This story has been adapted many, many times to, in many, many media. And Da Vinci's in it? Now I'm just showing how stupid I am. <sighs> Do you want the gimme? Give the me lead, the gimme. The lead actress is Drew Barrymore. Why is is that ever after? It's ever after. What the literal fuck? <laughs> Why is Leonardo da Vinci a character in that? Am I stupid? Good fucking question. <laughs> that, is the, that, is the, that is the fundamental question. Wait, so who, I actually Leonardo? like Ever After. Confess, uh, I saw it in the theater back in the day. Um, yeah. But it is the the why the fuck is Leonardo da Vinci in this? The main question that should be raised here. Also, who why are him? all the French? people speaking in english accents oh that well that's just old school but who plays leonardo da vinci i don't anyone of note patrick godfrey who's mainly a theater actor i think Mm. all right all right i'm so mad (laughs) so is it ever after kind of a minor queer canon film too because molly linsky's in it stamped campy i don't i don't know that no okay my people have angelica houston's like over, i mean angelica houston honestly is the best part of it she's she's doing a like a great evil stepmother i i have never seen it so oh. all right it's on my list now okay okay who wants to go next i'll go next i'll embarrass okay. myself <laughs> all right we all embarrass yeah. ourselves that's the that's the, the point this is um whose line is it anyway rules the rules are made up and no points don't matter <laughs> all right so Betty Davis, bonus. What did she play a witch in? Oh, was it uh, not something Wicked This Way Comes? It was The Watcher in the Woods, was it? It was something. Watcher in the Woods. Like, I don't, I've seen that movie and I don't remember. There is like some kind of witchcraft going on. (laughs) There's also Return to Witch Mountain, but she's not a witch in it. But I don't want anyone to forget her final film appearance in Larry Cohen's Wicked Stepmother, where she is 
a bag of bones can ver- barely speak. It, it like dropped out halfway through the movie. And then in the, in the diegesis of the film is replaced by a younger person playing it because she dropped out through like some kind of witchcraft and it makes no sense. I <laughs> watched it recently because I went through a Larry Cohen thing. Anyway. Uh, I have like never seen this. Mother. I love Larry Cohen too. I've never seen this. Right. Put it on the list. Um, <laughs> if only for the little trivia asterisk that it that's, is. <laughs> that's like Bella Lugosi in Plan 9. He just kind of like exactly. rolls in and then strolls out. <laughs> All right. Known for Betty Davis. Okay. Um, hmm. All About Eve? Yep. Okay. Um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? You got it. Um, Now Voyager? Yeah. I, I want to say The Little Foxes just because I love that movie, but I doubt it's on there. It's not on there, but agreed. It should be. <laughs> I love that movie too. It's it's not Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, is it? Oh, I also loved that movie <laughs> so much. I like that movie more than Baby Jane. I don't know if that's a controversial opinion. Dark Victory? Yes. Yay! How dare you? My program. <laughs> this is the other reason I wanted Jessica on the show, because I knew she would clean up if we did older films. <laughs> she's, uh, she's forgotten more older films than I've ever seen. Oh, no. <laughs> I've but never yeah, seen went, Dark Victory. Yeah. I went straight oh, you have Betty Davis. Oh, yeah. No, I've never seen it. This is the one, yeah, 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 where she's dying and there's a romance and. Have you seen it, Jess? Mm-hmm. Is this one for the watch list? All right, of yeah, course. Yeah, I, honestly, I think anything with Betty Davis is one for the watch list. Like, I think even if right. it, even if it's her version of Trog, like I'm, I'm gonna watch it. So, like. her version of Trog is definitely Wicked Stepmother. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm looking up her filmography. She was in Burnt Offerings. I forgot about that too. Burnt oh. Offerings is just what I was thinking about with Karen Black and mm-hmm. Oliver Reed. That's a good movie. Dang, Betty Davis. You were good. <laughs> First time anyone said that. Yeah, what a novel. <laughs> this is why people come to the take up for the totally yeah. novel takes. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's our hot take up opinion. <laughs> All right. Okay. Great job, Jazz. I'm plotting. Oh, thank you. Yay. So good. I think you're going to win. All right. Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's do Rachel. With... Rachel's the one I can do. I know. I know. Uh-huh. I can do. Let's go. Rachel Vice. Uh, the Mummy. Yes. Now, for IMDb, I always try to think like a dumb movie fanboy. So, is a, there's maybe the Marvel with the Marvel she was in Black Widow. No, nope, not Black Widow isn't on there. It's gonna be something else weird. Is it? Oh, now, now I'm thinking like Josh. Is it? Is the Mummy Returns one of the other ones? Nope. Oh, okay. Oh, so that's All two right, So you're gonna get years. Okay. 2005, 2006, and 2015. 2015. Jesus. Okay. What were the first ones again? In chronological order. 2005, 2006, 2015. Constantine? Nope. Damn. And and yet, so close. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So close in one very specific way. Okay. And that's going to throw you off. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm floundering here. Enemy at the gates? No. Mm-hmm. 
Jess, let's 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 give him some clues. Oh, um, I'm looking for a good clue for the 2005 one. This this is her Oscar win. Yes, that's right. Oh, Ray Fiennes, right? The Constant Gardener. Yeah. Okay. Can you see why I said Constantine? I thought you were about. To <laughs> that, say was that was a dumb joke. That was. Sorry. I'm so sorry. All Constantine. Right, Constantine and John Lacar, not anything remotely like. Okay. 2006 and 2015. These are a tour projects, right? Okay. You could say that. Mm-hmm. One had a new film last year. This is the oh. 2006. Brothers Bloom. Nope. No? Damn. Nope. Nope. That was a good guess, though, admit it. It, that was a, a deep <laughs> cut. Yeah. All I'm right. floundering here. She plays multiple characters in the 2006 one. What? Multiple characters? What else can we tell them about this one? We might have to drill down to other actors or something because I'm I'm not... Other actors... Um, because I can't remember off the top of my head. Ah, uh, uh, uh-huh. Hugh Jackman. Uh, the director loves a biblical allegory. Loves. Me. Oh, the fountain. Yes. <laughs> God, I love her in that too. Why did I take me so long to remember that? All right, so you got the fountain. That's Darren <sighs> Aronofsky's The Fountain. Um, yeah, the whale last year, and then 2015 film. I really want to give you the name of the character. <laughs> Are you looking at that? Isn't that? Yeah. I'm like, is that really her name in that? Right. That's funny. That is funny. Um, this, okay. This is a, this is like dystopian romance comedy. Dystopian romance. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. You could say this about pretty much all of this dude's movies. What are you talking about? Starring an Oscar Best Actor nominee from this year. Well, okay. The title is an animal. Oh, The Lobster. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I did. I am like, got to turn in my Rachel Vice fan card now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was terrible performance. Like, I've like, loved her. I've loved her like, she was one of my first like movie star crushes too. So like I have, there's no excuse for me here. I'm no I'm like I guess these guess do as I look through her filmography, these do make sense. I'm actually choices, surprised but... that the fountain and the lobster are like the IMD top the top films. I thought for sure it was gonna be Constantine well, and Black Widow. The, the nerds fucking love Aronofsky Aronofsky. So I guess so. There's that. Also <laughs> I would think the favorite, well, I guess the nerds would love the lobster over the favorite. Yeah, that would make more sense too. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that I've called everyone a nerd, <laughs> I'm definitely not that. <laughs> no, mister, let me give you my top 20 Betty Davis performances. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me out of this. So we round everything out by doing one more thing. That's something we've been enjoying, making a recommendation to everyone. Um, Jessica, as our guest, 
please um, kick us off here. What's one more thing from you? Uh, one more thing. If you are a fan of You Won't Be Alone, uh, there is a graphic novel that I highly recommend uh, called One Soul by Ray Fox. Um, it's really similar in tone and subject. It's really gorgeous. It's kind of experimental in its format. It's got 18 panels. Each panel is a different life. And it's the same 18 panels on each page. Um, and you just follow these people throughout their lives. And it's this really lovely meditation on humanity and existence and connection. And I just, if you love this movie, I think you'll love this book. Is this like seven up the in comic form basically we're watching all these different people go through their lives simultaneously. yeah pretty much <laughs> that sounds awesome i just so got good. chills and immediately put this thing in a cart oh yay oh oh i'm so excited i like the art style looks cool yeah, yeah i hope you like it i hope you don't hate it and then you're like oh my god jessica <laughs> i don't i don't read a ton of graphic novels so i tend to be very choosy but this looks mm -hmm. like right up my alley yes all right. And then um, as our guest, if you can let everyone know where to find you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at We Who Walk Here. Um, also, my website, wewhowalkhere.com, has all of my reviews, my essays, everything that I write for Slash Film, Dread Central, Film Cred, everybody. Um, it's all collected in one place. And you can also just come say hi to me. Come talk to me about this movie on Twitter at We Who Walk Here. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. One more thing from Andrew. Hi, Andrew. What's hey. your one more thing? So I've been uh, binge watching my way through the final um, season of Servant on Apple TV Plus, um, which I don't think I've talked about it on this show. I've written about it for the site a few years ago, um, but I don't think I've even mentioned it on this show. So this is uh, Tony Balscops. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, has a series um, that he created um, M. Night Shyamalan kind of put his damn branding on it. Um, he does produce it and directed a couple episodes and actually very two very good episodes, but it's not really his. He's not the showrunner or anything. Um, but this is a, if you haven't seen it yet, it's fourth season is finishing up right now. I think they've got a, a couple more weeks to go on that. Um, this is an amazing, <laughs> tonally and formally amazing horror series that I don't think enough people are talking about a psychological thriller slash horror film uh, horror series um all about a couple of the wealthy Philadelphia couple and their um their loss they've had an uh, infant die their their infant firstborn son dies and so they have this like reborn doll it's like it's like a surrogate doll for the mother to sort of process her grief and they hire a nanny to help take care of the reborn doll and the way I'm describing it makes it sound like that movie, the boy, but it's almost the inversion <laughs> of that. It, the parents are the sympathetic characters and this nanny kind of comes into the house is sort of weird and creepy. And she starts doing some things that don't make a heck of a lot of sense. Um, that is like the nickel version of the first episode. And so what I love about this, this is a beautiful series, beautifully shot, an amazing the entire series takes place in one house. They almost never leave this house. Um, so the geography of the house becomes very important. There's, a, if you're like Hannibal, there's a lot of amazing. The husband is like a sort of bad boy chef character. So the whole movie, the whole show has lots of like cutting edge culinary shit in it, all beautifully photographed. If you like that kind of Hannibal mm. vibe. Um, but one, but one reason I always recommend it to horror fans in particular is that it's insanely unpredictable. So if you're 
if you're a horror veteran, as I know Jessica is, and I know I am, like one of the things that happens after a while is you start to like not, you can't be surprised anymore. You can't be like, you kind of know where things are going. And it's not, no patch on the genre. It's just sort of what happens when you immerse yourself in a genre after a long time. Mm-hmm. I had no freaking clue where this series was going after an entire first season. Every episode adds additional wrinkles to it. And yet it's a very focused show. It's not like Lost where they're just spinning out nonsense for no particular reason. If there are mysteries and the mysteries very slowly unravel, but um, it's a very rare case of where I have no freaking clue where this is going. (laughs) And every season has been kookier and more ridiculous than the last and more um, intense than the last. So if you haven't yet, um, it's one of those things where like, if you don't have Apple Plus's TV, Apple TV Plus as a streaming service, it's almost worth the rental. Between that and Severance, I think like you will get your month's uh, value of uh, subscribing for, to it for a month. I like that you said all of that and avoided the dirty words that I definitely want to bring up. Which is? Knock at the cabin. Oh, well. <laughs> Are we going to talk about Knock at the cabin? <laughs> I don't, I don't. Jess, have you seen Knock at the cabin? I have not. Okay, we're not going to talk about it because <laughs> I don't want to talk about it because I don't like getting angry. Neither do I. I don't. Josh, Josh we and I are on the same page review. on this one. We are very much on the same. <laughs> page. If anything, Josh is angrier than I am. I was so mad, I'm <sighs> shaking. Um, but it, the one thing I will say, Andrew, is that I think I saw it like a couple days before you, or I don't know. But I was like, I can't wait. If Andrew likes this movie, we're gonna, gonna spar about it so hard about it. And then what a relief that not only did you hate it too, but we hated it for the same reasons. Um, I am re- I am reading the novel now and the novel is infinitely better. Okay, I'm okay. Yeah, I am very curious and definitely wanting to pick that up um, because I have a book thing for mine. But Andrew, first, uh, where can people find you? Oh yeah, socials. Uh, I'm on Twitter at arachnophiliac and I'm on Letterboxd at ay at 76. And you can find um, all, all my reviews now at thetakeup.com. So, okay, we've got One Soul. We've got Knock at the... Wait, Cabin at the End no, of the World? No, no. <laughs> what is it called? Cabin at the End of that the World? That was the novel, yes. Cabin at the End yes. of the World. An okay. infinitely better title, too, I might add. Mm-hmm. Right. Knock at the Cabin Door. Like, no one wants to say Knock at the Cabin. You want to say Knock at the Cabin. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I read a book that I'm going to recommend. I um, and I will say, I I told you, Andrew, I did pretty much immediately finish Stars at Noon after we were finished, <laughs> recorded the episode. It is a good book. It is its own thing. I am okay. Everything is fine. Um, but so yes, recommend reading Stars at Noon at some point. My quote unquote lower brow recommendation. A, a friend and future guest on a queering um, who is a, a writer herself. And <laughs> she recommended to me a romance novel. And I was like, absolutely not because I'm an asshole. <laughs> and she said, do you think, this is how she posed it to me. Do you think that shame is sexy? I was like, what? A what, what? Why would you pose that question to me? And I guess absolutely yes. The novel is called Heated Rivalry. 
It is about two NHL um, rookies who find themselves in a secret romance. They're just fucking the entire time. But it, the structure of it is interesting because it takes place over years and years. Um, and their relationship develops. And let me tell you that while I was very interested in the romance, <clears throat> quote unquote romance portion of this is just very explicit. Characters develop and an actual like love story develops. And it's very interestingly structured with the, the kind of gaps in time is, that it has. Is it like Harry Met Sally slash before tr- trilogy where like it, there are big leaps and then they sort of meet up again? There are, are definitely big leaps in time um, and their meeting. Yeah, I like that you call it meeting up. It's all like structured around their hookups um, and given an explicit detail, but things start to develop into something else. So my recommendation is, yeah, shame is, is kind of hot, um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> heated rivalry. It's, avail- it's available right now as an ebook and an audiobook. And if you listen to the audiobook, the narrator is named Tor Tom, Tom Tor, something like that. And he does a terrible Russian accent. It's really excellent. Oh, is it an international romance as well? Well, one of the hockey players is Russian. Mm, I love it. The other one's Canadian. So yeah, it's very international. (laughs) (laughs) And it's available for pre-order of physical mass market copies coming out soon because it has such a huge following. And then of course you're going to start Googling like fan art and stuff like that. I definitely did not. I did not do that. <laughs> I did not do that. I'm Joshua Ray. You can find my reviews on KMOV on thetakeup.com, Also on social media at crispy retinas and make sure to follow the take up at the take up All right, that is it for our episode. I want to thank once again, Jessica Scott, thank you so much for coming on. You, you, I, I said it as a joke, but you probably did give me a a little bit of a bump on this one. So (laughs) we are going to go into a new mini series on our next episode. We're celebrating Kristen Stewart. We're going to cover the career of K-Stu, which I think gives us a lot to talk about. Not only K-Stu, but quite a few directors that she's worked with. So, uh, I think it gives us some wild swings to talk about. So look forward to that. Um, you can follow us at the Take Up STL for upcoming guests, upcoming episodes. And uh, wanna thank Jessica Pierce, our editor, and Kayla McCullough, for our social media. And until then, I don't know, just Google case to do your homework. There you go. There's your ears, witches. <laughs> <laughs>